And we're recording. You know, I can still taste that sugar on my tongue. I don't know anything. <laughs> this is what we haven't done there yet. Okay. I don't think people play this. Well, let's just play it. I gotta say, it really is going to stand the test of time. I worry, however, not only exceeds... Oh, uh, hello there. Oh, hey. Didn't see you coming. Not very vigilant of you. No, 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 not at all. Uh, Welcome to Know It All with Tay and Kay. I'm Tay. I'm Kay. You know, Taylor, usually we start off uh, with an anecdote of some sort, but today, I think it's best if we just rip off the veil and start chatting about today's topic. Kevin, I couldn't agree more. Would you like to introduce the topic? Well, we usually do it together. Uh, Yeah, that's okay. I think you've earned it. Well, uh, if you insist. Okay. Today's topic is about... (sighs) (laughs) 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 Great job. Thank you. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, For our less astute listeners, Kevin and I just performed what is known as a (laughs) short con. We stole your time. Time because you believed that I was going to say the topic of today's episode. But fear not, there is a topic. And instead I gave you nothing but hot breath on a microphone. That's cold-blooded, Kevin. You cool like a carrot. Taylor and I have been practicing our con artistry while mm-hmm. doing research for this episode, and it's really changed the way that we look at the coolest kind of crime there is. Heists. Kevin. Mm-hmm. Imagine a common criminal for me. Okay, I'm seeing a male yeah. between 5'10 and 6'2 oh, wearing yeah. a sort of matching striped tunic and pant combo, mm-hmm. holding a big sack of money, possibly hamburgers. Nothing unusual about that. Most criminals dress the part, practically giving themselves away to anyone with an eye for this season's latest fashion. Stripes are not in. Now try to imagine a man with a scotch and soda in one hand okay. and the crown jewels in the other, Ooh. smiling roguishly under his Trim mustache. Kevin, what do you think he'd be wearing? Well, some kind of formal wear. Uh, leather driving gloves. Oh, yeah. Definitely a tie. And that's because, like the elegant dirigible, heists are just classier. Way classier. More complicated. Way more complicated. And more lucrative. A shitload more lucrative. Than armed robbery, grand theft auto, or even a burglary. Burglaries are closely related to heists, and indeed a heist involves a certain degree of burglitude, but they're most often performed for relative chump change, like a single sapphire brooch or a handful of creamy pearl neck. Burglaries are usually performed alone, but a heist requires a team of especially talented men and women. In order to understand why people appreciate heists so much, you need to look at them like we do, like art historians. Yeah, I mean, if you only think about the end result, heists simply look like crimes, and their perpetrators appear to be common criminals, but the amount of work that goes into a heist is extraordinary, rifling many great works of art. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, Taylor. In fact... Let's get behind ourselves and let's look at the father of the heist, Jesse James. Sure, there were many criminals before him and many of them coasted through life after nabbing a significant score, but James was the first to formally codify the process of stealing a large amount of money from fool college boys who don't know which side their buttery bread falls on. I feel like I'm talking a lot right now, don't you? Uh, no, um, not not really. I'll just... I'll just sit this one out no, for now. No, please, talk. please. This is our show. <laughs> okay. Um, but I'm going to open this book and make sure that we get our facts straight. Is that 100%. such great heists, the autobiography of yeah, Jesse James? Yeah, it certainly is. Now, please uh, continue. Okay. Uh, 
Jesse James may be the most widely known and beloved uh, heistman in history. Wow! According to the inside cover, Jesse James and the James Gang were the most notorious and beloved criminals in the Wild West. Did you know that? Uh, yeah. Now, James certainly didn't know that he would one day be considered a heistman. This was in the days before the quality known as cool swept across America. James likely mm. felt that he was a skilled thief, and in comparison to modern heists, his look like mere armed robberies. I couldn't agree more. In fact, it says here on the back cover that every great heist, fictional or real, is rooted in the traditions established by the James gang. Yes, James devised a repeatable, simple, and clear method which would work uh, for any location which contained valuables, trains, uh, stagecoaches, really strong guys on horses, or even banks. With the proliferation of modern security systems, heists must be tailored to the location, but every successful heist must at least follow the James Bank procedure if it is to be considered classy enough. It, the James Bank dis- procedure, is described in Jesse James's best-selling 1874 pamphlet, How to Rob a Bank with Class, a step-by-step guide to robbing any and all banks existing in our modern era by Jesse James. It is printed on faux-weathered cardstock in an old-timey font. It's pretty thin, and it was free with our copy of Such Great Heists. Taylor, little thought experiment. Have you read anything about Jesse James? Uh, just now, yes, but not before we started recording. Did you do any research at all for this episode? Not really. Interesting. The James Bank procedure is as follows. Mm, no, I'm drawing a blank here. <laughs> I've got this. One, bring at least one gun for every three people in the bank. Two, no one enters or leaves. And And three, three. no killing. Yes. Uh, The third step has an asterisk by it, which says uh, accidents happen. Jesse James never wore a disguise during his robberies and uh, would often loudly proclaim his home address as he stuffed money into a sack. He'd like to take his time. So much time that he would often bring snacks and juice for the hostages. Have you ever heard of James Cake? Oh, God, who hasn't? It's Jesse James's home recipe. Is that why you made this? It is. Oh, I didn't put that together. Unsurprising. Where'd you get the recipe? Uh, it's on the back of the pamphlet. Wow, look at that. Mm-hmm. Gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, eat up. Mm. Now, as the years flew by, James felt stagnant. I mean, how many crusty old security guards and stuttering bank managers had he terrified? How many sticks of dynamite had he crammed into increasingly thick vault doors? How many times had he baked the same delectable confections? He needed to rob something bigger, something faster. The train. Trains are a method of transportation by which a series of linked cars travel along a fixed rail, usually powered by steam or magnetic induction. The country was quickly expanding westward, but a nation can't grow without cold, hard cash. Uh, Now, 50% of trains headed west in the 1870s were loaded solely with cold, hard cash, usually only watched over by the conductor, his assistant, and an old bloodhound named Rufus or something. The trains came to him and ran Mm. all day, every day, which meant that the James gang could heist as many as four in a day. And they had smaller crowds, which meant less baking. Kevin, let me posit this to you. How does one stop a steam locomotive, a vehicle which can reach speeds in excess of 35 miles an hour? This is where James pioneered another crucial element of the heist, the short con. One of the members of the gang would dress up as a petticoated lady and lay back on the tracks, while another, more lean and villainous-looking member of the crew would stand near and conspicuously wring his hands with faux delight as the train approached. James himself would ride up to the engine and tell the conductor to put the brakes on. There's James in trouble! Oh, so that's where that comes from. Then him and a few comrades would hold the engineers in security at gunpoint and nab all the loot while regaling them with stories of heists past and that now legendary James cake. Hey. 
mean, look, check this out. There are like five or six more recipes on this pamphlet. This man could cook. Hmm. You know, look, I may not have read any of the books that you gave me, but I, I think we can glean something of this criminal mastermind's psyche by analyzing tra the trajectory of his cuisine. True. But even the most sumptuous feast couldn't satiate Jesse James's appetite for the thrill of the heist. Well, I mean, look at these dishes, though. Shepherd's pie, to bacon apple cornbread, to boysenberry huckleberry scones, to quail egg pate with sautéed morels and seven layer bars? That's four more than could ever be considered necessary. I mean, Jesse James was clearly addicted to his work and could only express his anguish through increasingly complicated and decadent dishes that fewer and fewer hostages could appreciate. How else is a man supposed to quell the protestations of unruly hostages, if not with treats? With the barrel of a gun. Mm -hmm. The high one receives from participating in a heist is one of the most intense experiences known to man and can be more addictive than heroin. Nothing else matters to the addict. Not friendship, not basic bodily urges, not even human life. The James gang began to get real sloppy. They chased that H train down some deep, dark tunnels. Kind of horrendous. Jesse James was lucky enough to have a friend as good as Robert Ford to put him out of his misery before he resorted to heisting orphanages and convents to feed his need. Uh, thankfully, the modern heist is so complicated and expensive that they take one or two years to complete, virtually eradicating the possibility of developing a dangerous addiction. Before any of you judge Jesse James unfairly, keep in mind that this was all in the pre-con era of heistery. Cons are simply not habit-forming. James was what you would call an honest criminal, a man who would tell you to your face that he was robbing you, but in our high-tech society of plasma TVs and laser disc players, honesty simply cannot be the best policy. That's right. Jesse James never told a lie because he didn't have to. Except to himself. I mean, there is simply way too much tarragon in this cornbread Hey, recipe. that's what it called for. While I rinse the foul taste of these herbs out of my palate, why don't we take a word from our sponsor? Hey, Taylor, can I use your bathroom for a moment? Oh, of course you can. Here, allow me to get the door for oh, you. Oh, thank you. That is so kind. Well, here I go. I'll leave you to it. Hey, Taylor! Yeah? Can you come in here? What's wrong? I think your bathroom flooded. Oh, no, no, it's always that way. What? But why? Because that's the bachelor way, my man. No way, Jose. Taylor, if you want to attract gorgeous ladies to your choice apartment... I do. ...then what you need is a bathroom rug to soak up all these drippings you've created. Kevin, aren't bathroom rugs for girls? What's next? Guest towels? Bathroom <laughs> rugs aren't just for girls anymore. Bathroom rugs can be as feminine, masculine, or gender neutral as you prefer. My own rugged bathroom rugs are made of waxed canvas and Italian leather. Yeah, that's great, but I don't want to have to spend a lot of money on a big rug, only to have to cut it down to size. Bathroom rugs come in virtually any shape or size. Some even fit around your toilet. That's perfect, because as you can see, my bathroom is tiny. Yeah, Rhonda really gouged you with the child support. Yeah. Bathroom rugs! Banish wet floors from your pad today! Taylor, I bet that you can name any historical figure from the past 2,000 years, and I can describe a heist that they were at least tangentially involved in. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, let me see. First thing that comes to your mind. Okay, uh, Ferdinand Magellan. Easy. All of the white pepper that has ever existed came from a single plant that he stole from the Temple of the Death God in the Maluku Islands. White pepper? What's next? Black salt? Black salt was discovered during Cortez's pillaging of Tenochtitlan. 
which is sort of like a mass armed robbery, which is much closer to piracy than heisting. Mm. Well, what about uh, Sigourney Weaver? Oh, uh, she hid herself in the soundstage for Alien, mm. waited till dawn, and then began solo filming key scenes with herself in the lead role until the crew showed up conned them into thinking she was Robert Redford, the intended Ripley, and when he showed up, they had him arrested for trespassing and impersonating Robert Redford. Wait, is con a heist? It wasn't always, but yes, the modern heist is essentially a series of short cons lightly seasoned with burglaries and high-speed chases. Then why not just call it a long con? Well, a long con is something entirely different. Hardly as lucrative as a heist, but far classier and a little sexier. Conversely, short cons are cute little lies which usually only involve a couple individuals, usually the face or the eyes, and sometimes the feral, deceiving a security guard or suspicious front desk agent. Or- Wait, the who? We'll get to that later. Um, give me another historical figure. Okay. Uh, uh, Julius Caesar. Single-handedly stole Cleopatra's crown jewels, Mediterranean via, and her chastity. Cleopatra? She stole Caesar's heart. Stephen Hawking? Uh, crushed by a falling bookshelf in an attempt to steal Newton's original apple from the Cambridge University Museum of Physics and Alchemy. <laughs> yeah, what comes up must come down. Hard. Did he cut the apple? Officially, no, but it was never found. It's widely believed that he simply gobbled up the evidence as his grades noticeably improved after the incident. Fortunately, he was found by the police a few hours later and never charged with any wrongdoing. Kevin, for someone with a known disdain for book learning... You've acquired an incredible knowledge of heist history in a very short time. Thank you. I appreciate your sentiment. But, Taylor, I must say that I am a little disappointed that you have so little knowledge to contribute to this episode. I understand completely, and I want to apologize with a little thought experiment, okay? Kevin, hand me your wallet for a minute. Sure. Uh, okay. I, um... Uh... Huh. I, uh, I can't seem to find it. I, uh... Where where did it go? Where is it? Where is my wallet? I swear that if I don't find my wallet in the next two seconds, I am literally going to freak out! You mean this wallet? Sometimes we <laughs> academics can forget that a little natural talent can go a long way. When did you take this? Oh, hours ago. Before you even woke up, I took it off your nightstand while you were sleeping. So glad I gave you my spare key. But Taylor, you have just broken one of the core rules of contemporary heists. Which is? Never get caught by the goose. If you're gonna get caught, only get caught by the police. Granted, I don't know the first thing about heists, but why in the Sam Hill would I want a cotton-picking heat be dragging my tail to Sing Sing? Well... Uh, heisters who've been caught by the goose are rarely prosecuted publicly and are likely taken care of in a most gruesome fashion. Joan of Arc, for example, in a perhaps ill-conceived attempt to rob the Pope of his authority, solo heisted the Vatican. Just as she was spitting into the baptismal font on the way out, Bishop Kushan himself appeared. He'd caught her red-handed, ceremonial vestments and gilded scepter in hand. Well, what happened to her? I mean, God's forgiveness is infinite, so I would imagine... They burned her alive. Sweet Lord! So... Word of the wise, if you get caught, your fate is sealed. Like a vault. Nice. Should the proper authorities, however, arrest and prosecute the perpetrators, all is not lost. The police and the public are unusually kind to this particular class of criminal. 
Wait, what are we talking about? What's the goose? Well, every heist must begin with a good target, and that target is known as the goose. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Now, not just anyone can be a goose. The goose must have a vast supply of wealth, whether that be currency, a collection of valuable goods, art, or even people. And you must also possess a special combination of cunning and magnetic maliciousness. So a Cardinal Richelieu type of person. Taylor, that is uncanny! Cardinal Richelieu was the victim of over 13 heists in his lifetime, due in no small part to his highly public love of jewelry and widely known aversion to locks and doors. While they may seem flashy and prone to plot holes, a heist's elaborateness is necessary to outwit the goose. Outwitting such a person cannot be done alone, but must be done as a team. Oh, now this is something I can get excited about. If Hollywood movies have taught us anything... And what have they not? It's that heist team consists of around 11 members, including... The goose. That's so charming. The head, the eyes. Taylor, let's close our eyes and let's use our heads for a moment because I think it's time to step into the world of our imaginations. I'm seeing us at the Smithsonian, standing on the steps in broad daylight wearing tourist outfits, peering at its tallest spires through binoculars. I'm not seeing anything. Taylor, close your eyes and open your eyes. Hey... Who's that handsome mustachioed fellow in the trench coat inconspicuously purchasing two dozen balloons? It must be the head. The head is the one with the idea, the one with the plan. He's sort of like a heist talent scout. The head gathers all the other ingredients and quite often has a direct relationship to the goose. See that suspicious utility van nearby? No, I just see Logan, and he doesn't look happy. As usual. No, no, I mean in the world of pure imagination. Oh, oh, why just your run-of-the-mill blue collars keeping the streets safe from insects and similar vermin? Wrong! It's the eyes. The eyes monitor the heist, providing field members like you and yours truly with total situational awareness. They spend most of their time whispering info into a headset while staring at an array of computer screens. Yeah, but he looks just like your average American Joe. Well, heists are not only an opportunity to get away with untold millions, they are also an opportunity to play dress-up with a band of hardened criminals. Every member of a heist must be wearing some sort of disguise at all times, and the eyes, too, must be a master of vocal disguise, as they are frequently speaking with a victim over the phone, posing as a police officer or a goon. Then why did our heist succeed? We didn't have any of these fancy gadgets, and you were hardly looking your best that day. Well, we technically committed burglary, but as a larger part of a heist. Think of it like a battle in a war, or a short con as a part of a series of long cons. John Wilkes Booth, for example, auditioned for the Ford's Theater Ensemble disguised as at least six different people in order to ensure being cast, just so that he could get access to Lincoln's balcony. But let's fast forward our imaginations to a breezy summer evening at the Presidential Cotillion. Imagine a sexy woman in the distance flirting with a bloated, gray-haired politician. How could a woman like that fall for a goose like him? That's our decoy. The decoy must be sexy. Gotta be sexy. The decoy's job can be very varied. She may be required to do nothing more than to walk by a security guard in an alluring dress at the right moment, but right now, she's trying to get intimate with Senator Thompson in order to obtain a special passcode. Yeah, he doesn't look very interested. If only we knew a guy who could light up the sky with a romantic fireworks show. Hey, these are our imaginations. We can just imagine one. Yeah, true. We should use our imaginations more often. Well, don't use it too much, or we won't have any left for the rest of the episode. Right. And don't use it around that guy. I'm uncomfortable just 
looking at him. Why is he covered in bandages? That's the pyro. He's an expert in all things flammable and explosive. No one can distract or detonate a politician like the pyro. Can we imagine someone else, please? Sure. We'll suspend this scene while we suspend ourselves. From wires. Whoa. Just like the ever-popular spider. Kevin, this is so you. Oh, stop. At least once a week, I have a dream in which you leap, twist, and slither your way through a web of lasers in order to obtain some special trinket. Your slender yet sturdy build and high level of vigilance would be valuable and vital components for our criminal um, undertaking. I'm blushing. Uh, he's, actually, he's actually blushing. Hey, what would happen if you tripped and fell or sprung an alarm by accident? Well, this is where the face comes in, and Taylor, if I may make you blush for a moment. <laughs> I already am. A heist requires many forms of virtuosity, and simply put, Taylor, your ability to manipulate your voice like a chameleon, fluency in half a dozen languages, your love of playing dress-up, and your exquisite wig collection make you a picture-perfect face. Oh, I thought you were going to peg me as the muscle. Well, you certainly contain the physical beef to be the muscle, no doubt about that, but you are a gentle giant, and the muscle needs to be more mentally than physically imposing. I'm a crack shot, though. Haven't you seen my trophy collection? I can't deny that, but guns are rarely used in heists, and they are almost never fired when they are used. Yeah, but couldn't I double up? I mean, surely heist teams allow for the muscle to also be the face, or for the decoy to also <laughs> be the spider. Certainly, I just think your biggest strength is in the face department. Wait, 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 wait. If I'm the face, why am I wearing a sneaking suit? We're all wearing sneaking suits. Except the decoy. She is wearing a sleeveless crimson dress dress from Donna Karan, which shows a tasteful and alluring PG-13 degree of leg. God, sounds expensive. Our clothing budget alone is already in the tens of thousands. And that's not including the maintenance worker disguises or the breakaway tuxedos for the cocktail affair in which we will inevitably be embroiled. God, so many fun outfits. You know what we really need? It's a sympathetic benefactor to fund our completely hypothetical and imaginary criminal undertaking. This is where a bank of sorts comes in. This bank guy often has no actual role in the crime itself, as they are always too melancholy to put down their pina coladas and get up from their pool chairs. You know, for someone who didn't really do any research, you have an almost intuitive grasp of what is needed to pull off a heist. Yeah, maybe I should be the head, too. Don't get greedy. I mean, don't be the wrong kind of greedy. Oh, got it. Did we cover everyone? We got the core crew, but paradoxically, heists get easier and more spectacular with each person you add. The caveat being that your cut gets smaller. But every heist is different. When planning a big-time cash grab from the U.S. Mint, what if one encounters a prudent, suited official mm. who can see right through your Abraham Lincoln costume? Good question. Well, men like mm. this are usually officious, mirthless twerps who never drink the poison cocktails you've slipped them and resist the urge to stare unrepentantly down the shirt of your buxom Puerto Rican decoy. These men require an advanced form of distraction. A patsy. The, yes, it's important that your patsy be named Patrick, Patricia, or Pat, because you'll probably call them patsy at least once or twice, and you'll need all your bases covered. Mm. The patsy is someone who botches a second, more visible crime at a crucial point in your heist in order to take the heat off your decoy and your face while they briskly and confidently walk down a corridor of safety deposit boxes. You know, it feels like we're missing something. Isn't it clobbious? We're forgetting the feral. The feral, or Ke the wild Kevin, card. Kevin, Kevin, I know I didn't do any research, and that I was spaced out several times during this section, but you know, I feel like I've got this. I'm a natural. All right. And if you can, not only will I make you a second batch of James cake, I'll also fry you up two dozen Dillinger donuts. Okay, so... The feral. He's the kind of person you depend on to get you out of trouble when you least expect it, in a manner you even less expected, provided, of course, he shows up. Excellent. 
Yes. Phenomenal. Yes. Lo- looks like you just increased your share of the pot. I thought we were stealing a painting. <laughs> I'm referring to, to a hypothetical slice of the pot. It was a piece of cake. Oh, here you go. Last piece. Oh, thank you. So now that we have our team assembled, we can grab this goose's precious, precious eggs. Well, not quite yet. We have our team assembled, yes, but we can't just grab the goose's loot so soon, you brute. The team must first assemble on the bank's 250-foot yacht where they'll spend a sexy weekend off the coast of Brazil, sunning themselves, staring at buxom beauties through binoculars, drawing charts and graphs, and generally avoiding the hundreds of hours of reconnaissance and planning that lie ahead. Ooh, sounds exciting. Let's use our imaginations now. Actually, it's very boring, which is why they do it on a yacht. The heist that you do see is only a tiny fraction of the total amount of work that goes into it. People generally don't want to hear about this part, though. But I... I do. So while Kevin tells me about all these menial tasks, let's take a word from our sponsors. Benefactors. Right. Taylor, I need some help. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do you go about getting dirt, gravel, and animal feces out of your bed sheets? How did they get into your bed sheets? Through my boots, obviously. Well, why are you wearing your boots in bed? Because my feet get cold, dummy. Well, that's your problem right there. Where? Take off your boots and just wear your socks. What are socks? They're like cloth sheaths for your feet. You put them on before your shoes. I do? Oh, God. Are they built into the boot? I I don't understand. No, no. Do yourself a favor. Head on down to the local store. Most any of them will do. And and just tell the first person you see that you need like 30 pairs of socks. But I only have two feet. (laughs) They won't last forever, and you need to wash them. I do? Yes, you do. Question... If I put on these socks, then put my boots on, how will that prevent my sheets from getting dirty? Don't put your boots on. Just the socks? Yes. That's weird, don't you think? No, I don't. What's weird is that you've made it this far in life without knowing what a sock is. I don't see any socks on your feet. It's flip-flop Friday. You don't wear socks with flip-flops? Under no circumstances. This is way too complicated. Really not at all, actually. Can I wear socks without shoes? Of course. And they won't get my sheets dirty? They shouldn't. Wow. You said it. Have you heard the good news? Socks. With the exception of folk anti-heroes like Jesse James and John Dillinger, heisters rarely appear in modern history books, making research on the topic rather difficult to perform. But we're almost like modern-day professors, and our audience demands... Facts. And no amount of book learning can teach you how to shear a sheep. So, off we went to the local clink where we met Frank O'Hara, known in county criminal circles as the worst safecracker in the world. This man couldn't even crack a nut, let alone a Masterlock G42 triple tumble. But with a virtual monopoly on tri-county billboard ad space, Frank was perhaps our only option. And when we interviewed Frank, we asked for information Hold about- on there, friend! <laughs> Remember, when you're dealing with the world of illegal services, everything is spoken of in vague terms. Everything? Yes. I mean, maybe. Okay, so he asked Frank what sort of historical information... Hypothetical information. He would give to a hypothetical duo. Or trio, or quadro, who knows? Who were looking to get some hands-on experience with prominent heisters and heist techniques. Strictly as legal, imaginary observers. So he stared at us for a while and slipped us two very smelly things. A bootleg copy of the last two-thirds of Ocean's Twelve, which I simply devoured. And the name of a man who, were I to repeat his name on this program, would, quote, erase me and my kids from the face of the earth. When I told him that he was stupid because Kevin didn't have any kids, and I asked him how he could have missed my world's greatest dad shirt, 
He said nothing and merely winked. It was weird. Prison does that to a man, allegedly. You're good at this. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. Who's to say? (laughs) Well, when we left the prison grounds, we were surprised to find a van already waiting. A masked man peeked out of the front window, and we asked if he was Rodney Ferguson, the name on the card Frank gave us. We asked where he was taking us and what the plan was, but he just said, No time, Patsy. And within minutes, we were deposited in front of City Hall and handed an unmarked envelope. Up to this point, this was probably the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me in my entire life. Well... You, maybe. In characteristic Heisley fashion, our instructions were terse and to the point. Mayor's office. Old painting of older woman. Ridge Avenue Denny's. 2 a.m. sharp. There weren't even any verbs in that. Well, verbs are action words, and actions speak louder than words. So you're saying that verbs can incriminate you in a court of law. Exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Can this podcast incriminate us? I think we've said too much already. What harm can it do? And what harm can Rodney do to us? He's probably back in the clink slurping up toilet hooch with Frank and Poison Pete. That makes sense. So there we were in the mayor's office, our palms against the frame of the painting of the old woman. Well, older woman, you know, she's still got some oomph left in her. Look. Yeah, too true. You could get lost in those eyes. Anyway, so there we were in the mayor's office, our palms against the frame of the painting of the older woman, when we heard the telltale click-clack, click-clack of a coppa's wingstip slip-slapping the old anole. So we remained completely still. And then he just walked in the other direction and never returned. I mean, who knew heisting would be so easy? Hold on. Being fair to any modern-day Jesse Jameses who may be listening, this was our first heist. How did it even end? I, I don't even remember. It was kind of boring after that. Uh, we took the painting to the Denny's, and no one was there. Huh. Hey, do you think it could have been Danny's, that bar next to the Denny's? Uh, no, that's a pretty seedy place. I just can't see a crew of high-class thieves hanging out in an establishment with a bunch of no-good crooks at Danny's. Well, uh, on the plus side, now we have this painting. Which I would like to sell. So if any of you loyal listeners would like a large, three-by-six-foot painting of an older woman gazing sensually out at you, just drop us a line. Taylor, I really think that we should just keep the painting. Sorry, loyal listeners, the painting is not for sale, okay? Why not? Well, they tend to arrest you for stealing money, but a painting is just ultimately paper, so who cares? True words have never been said. Well said. Well, if I learned anything from Frank's bootleg glass two-thirds of Ocean's Twelve, it's that a successful criminal undertaking should leave neither witnesses... Nor evidence. Wrong. Heists are all about style, and even the best, most elaborate, sexiest heist is wasted if nobody or nothing is there to bear witness. But eyewitnesses are notoriously unreliable. That's exactly it. Heists are nothing new. Humans have been heisting since a team of early men distracted another early man in order to steal his trophy collection. But because they're so spectacular, the stories get convoluted, and you can't trust any eyewitnesses, not even the supposed perpetrators. It's quite common, in fact, for people, completely innocent people, to turn themselves in as members of a heist team just for the fame. I can see why. Involvement in a heist, successful or otherwise, is a giant status boost. Even if you go to prison for the rest of your life, that life will be replete with women clamoring at your steel bars and podcasters begging you for advice about how to steal stuff. To be convicted of heistery is truly a blessing in disguise, which really opens up doors and opportunities to those lucky few individuals. It's sort of like getting the key to the city in a MacArthur Fellowship on the same day. So... You think we should start drilling oil in Texas? Well, guess what, Mr. Rockefeller? I'm so impressed by your involvement in that Parisian ruby fiasco last year that I will submit all of my time, money, and resources to help push forward any, and I do mean any, endeavor you see fit to brave. 
My name is Taylor. Right now, your name is John D. Rockefeller, and you're fantastic. Not as fantastic as that kiwi twang of yours. Merci. De nada. Huh. Oftentimes, when heisters are found guilty in court, the judge will just overturn the ruling and let them go. So, like, he's guilty, but whatever? Exactly. Any member of the heist team? Even the pyro or the feral? Well, maybe not the feral, but that's only if they plead guilty, which they'll sometimes do just for the thrill of it. Well, everyone was very friendly to us at the prison. Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe. But we'll never find out, because when we tried to turn ourselves into the local police department, a thought hit us. We got the painting from the mayor's office. The mayor and the police are all part of the same municipal system. It would be like giving ourselves up to the goose. Not a smart move, as we've certainly covered. So, our heisting days are behind us. As is this episode, I've nothing left to say because that's all the information we could possibly find on heists. If you'd like to learn more about the rich history of heisting, head on down to your local library and look up something else. Because we gave you every bit of heist information that was available at ours and therefore one can safely assume in the world. Great job. Great job. Perfect job. Hey, Taylor, guess what? You've got some listener mail for me. God! You know, I, I try and I try and I try every week to come up with a different way to surprise you with it, and you're just always one step ahead of me. Yeah, I usually am. So this week's listener mail, Taylor, comes from Judith Bogfellow from Mesa, Arizona. Judith writes, Dear Tay and Kay. Hi, Judith. I just finished listening to your episode on trophies. I was incredibly moved by the story of Ulysses S. Grant's downtrodden, trophyless final days. I was wondering what you thought a figure like Grant would think of being honored as a statue. Would that feed his need for a legitimate trophy? And if so, did he ever get to see that day? Uh, he did get to see that day. In fact, there are dozens of large statues in the capital cities of most of the formerly Union states. Standing high and proud with Ulysses S. Grant, bearded as ever. Often on a horse. He saw all of them and felt nothing but shame and boredom at them. If you read his autobiography, you'd understand this. For him, I think it was more like looking into a very grim mirror in a poorly lit room. He didn't see himself as a trophy. He saw just himself, himself as, as a, a bronze hollow man with nothing yeah. inside of him. So, in answer to your questions, no. Uh, he did get to see that day, no. and it was certainly not the day he was hoping for. Thank you, Judith. So that about wraps it up, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Know It All with Tay and Kay. I'm, I'm Tay. I'm Kay. Join us next time when we talk about the Founding Fathers. This week's episode of Know It All with Tay and Kay was brought to you by Rock, Paper, Scissors, available in stores everywhere.